leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty alongside my co-host and fellow SBC alum, Corbin Ford. I am Garrett Bougay, and this week is part two of our discussion with Simon Sharon Gordon on... NBA legacies, uh, talking individual players and how the 2019-20 season either improved or hurt their overall stock. Uh, If you missed last week's episode, part one, we uh, talked about a variety of players, including LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, and Nikola Jokic. Uh, This episode, we've got uh, quite a few players that are uh, pretty intriguing to get through, so I hope you enjoy. This might be reactionary, but at least I want to have that conversation. I looked at him between the top 15 and 20 players last, I want to say, five years or so. I mean, he, he had moments where he snuck up to, like, number 12 for me. But this finals appearance by Jimmy Butler, I don't know if – I mean, he played a lot more efficiently, you know, at certain points. But, like, it was Jimmy Butler. I, I, I Like, the same type of play, you know, same strengths, um, lack of outside shooting, at least uh, consistently – from three, the same te- technical weaknesses. Like, where do you guys put him on that? Because I do think that this finals appearance definitely boosted up his resume. I've seen some just automatically vault him into the top ten. I put him in there. I have the number eleven right now in my own personal rankings. But like, in general, what are you thoughts on Jimmy Butler, especially after what we witnessed during this Miami postseason? That I- I'm not gonna lie, I definitely didn't see him getting as far as they did. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had uh, Jimmy Butler. Uh, between, you know, I, I do on on this podcast, I do top 30 player rankings with Scott Levine. We'll have to do another one of those soon. But, uh, you know, we've been doing that for the last couple of years. And, and I've consistently had Butler between about 9 and 12 in my rankings. I've always thought he was a border borderline top 10 guy. I, um, I think he's, he's consistently gone pretty underrated. I know the dunked on guys even 
even said that Chris Middleton was better than him this year, which I thought was ridiculous. <laughs> the uh, you know the the guy is the guy is phenomenal, and you know the all the talk throughout the whole regular season, and and you know he was poor from uh, from from the outside shooting in the mid range. I think he shot. Uh, around uh, 38% in the mid-range this year. He shot 25% from three. So, you know, he also relied on getting to the free throw line a bunch during the regular season. So there was there was plenty of question marks to say, okay, is, you know, our team's just going to be able to lay off him. Our team's going to be able to avoid fouling him and, and really limit his production. But you look at his playoff run, his his shooting improved. He, he went up to 47% from the mid-range. 37% from three, although on, on limited attempts. And then also, he continued to get the line, even in the postseason, uh, averaged 9.1 free throw attempts a game. So, you know, he's he's just a player that despite having some weaknesses, and, and perhaps Miami's system with their ball and man movement maybe helps with this, but despite his uh, reputation as a poor shooter, I didn't really think it negatively impacted the Heat at all, especially given that Butler is such an uh, intelligent player in terms of his cutting and his passing and uh, his uh, general uh, basketball IQ. Yeah, I, I agree strongly with every point you just made there, Garrett, and I particularly am glad you brought up the, the foul drawing because that was something like we already knew Jimmy Butler was before this season in terms of just like one of the most competitive guys in the league one of the clutchest players like he just loves the big stage he's a big game player he's a killer like we just we knew this about Jimmy Butler um so I I didn't have any question that he would like bring that mentality into this postseason the question I did have was are the improvements he made during the regular season particularly I mean the the playmaking and the, and the foul drawing, like, are those things going to continue? Particularly the foul drawing, because that's something you see fall off in the playoffs a lot. And it and it didn't. And I think part of why it didn't is because he is so good at finishing through contact. And like, he, he, he isn't a lot of his foul drawing. Some of it is just like kind of the flailing stuff. But so much of it is just him like relentlessly going to the rim and fighting through contact and. He's such a good finisher that teams have to, they have to hard foul him. Like, this isn't just him, like, not play, going up and not planning on scoring and hoping he gets the call. Like, if you don't stop him, he's going to hang, he's going to, like, outhang you. There's so many plays in in this postseason where he, like, jumps up and someone goes vertical and they're both hanging there in midair and he just stays in the air for longer or finishes on his way down. Um, and he has such crazy body control. Like you, you kind of have to like hammer him sometimes if you don't want him to score. So I think that that's a huge part of why he was able to keep up the, the free throw rate, um, and also that that scoring ability inside allowed him to keep up the playmaking and, and all of the off ball movement. Like you said, uh, kind of mitigates some of the the spacing concerns that normally a non shooter gives you in the playoffs. So like. I knew who Jimmy Butler was entering this postseason as as a competitor. Um, I didn't know that he would be able to continue what I thought was his best regular season to date. I didn't know he'd be able to continue it into the playoffs the way he did. And, and the fact that he did and the fact that he led a team to the finals and had a spectacular finals. I mean, he had one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in, uh, in Game 3. Um, I 
Was that game three that he had that? Like, game three and game five, yeah, he game was brilliant. And game five, he was like, oh my, yeah, I don't even know. Maybe game five was, was the more impressive one, honestly. I don't know. But, like, uh, the fact that he showed us that, again, it wasn't like, I wasn't surprised, but I, I was glad to see um, the guy who I always saw as, like, one of the guys who I would most want on my team in a playoff series. I was glad to see that play out the way it did. Well, okay. I guess I have a follow-up question, man. In general, like, outside of this one year, you, we talked about his, you know, lackluster, uh, to put it lightly, jump shot or, or jump shooting ability as of late. His reliance on getting to the line, and yes, his craft and body control when he gets there, but, like, having to get those foul calls to get sent, you know, to the line or to at least put pressure on the defense in that way. Do we think that this play style, and, and I don't want to bring up his age in a negative effect, but do you think that that's sustainable for Butler moving forward to replicate that performance, at least until – or for Miami, you know, they're looking for that big fish as always in 2021. But just in general, is he, like you all said, we know Jimmy Butler. Is he, is this Jimmy, like, just in, just moving forward? I think so. I mean, he's he's already, I feel like, lost a little bit of his athleticism. I mean, he's I think he's 31 now. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you mentioned, again, both of you mentioned the foul drawing. And, and yeah, Simon made a great point that his foul drawing isn't a lot of that, like, you know, the the sweep-through move to get to the free-throw line like Chris Paul and, and Kevin Durant like to do with the, the other teams in the bonus. It's not a lot of the, you know, um, dribbling off of a pick-and-roll and then pulling up when the guy is trying to come from behind you and, and drawing that contact. It's pretty much exclusively, or for the most part, just straight-line drives to the rim, and if you don't foul him, he dunks it or gets a layup. Um, he's also really good at, uh, you know, when you try to cut him off, he just taking that bump and throwing it up at the rim. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it I, I think it is um, something that uh, a level of play that he can continue at least for a couple more years. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it'll be fascinating to watch him and the Miami Heat next season as well. But what's so impressive to me is, you know, and, and also I, I thought it was silly that, you know, as good as Bam Adebayo was during the regular season and, and obviously Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn, a lot of those guys stepped up and played better. But Jimmy Butler, I just thought, didn't get nearly enough credit for taking what was a, a team that missed the playoffs last year and took them to uh, nearly a uh, you know home court advantage in the first round. Like That's a pretty big jump. And we've seen it throughout Butler's career when he went to Minnesota, when he left Chicago, these teams either going up to another level or going down a level this guy consistently throughout his career has impacted winning in a meaningful way. I, I think what gets lost, um, I mean, this is the last thing I'll say about Butler, and I think you're, I think you're behind both of us in terms of your list, so I'll, I won't transition into my next guy. Um, but I think what gets lost with him is like because his general player type is like scoring wing, he just gets compared to other scoring wings statistically um and and in terms of scoring repertoire and like that is his player type yes but he does so many things that other guys that fit that player type don't do like he really is like draymond green in the body of a scoring wing right like like what makes jimmy butler special is that every single moment he's on the court he's playing harder than everybody else on the court and that that's why he's a 20-point-per-game scorer to begin with. Um, but it's also, like, he, he plays so much harder defensively 
than I think anybody else that has his uh, penchant for scoring or, or, or kind of uh, is on that echelon as like a go-to guy. Um, he puts in so much more work defensively. He fights for more loose balls. He, he's just like a scrappy player kind of in the body of, of a superstar. Um, so his stats don't live up to the other guys that are on that tier, but like his impact on the game is, is higher than, than almost anyone's. Absolutely. Yeah, I actually had Jimmy Butler and I also had Kawhi on my list, so I'm actually to number four on, on my list. So if, if either of you guys haven't gotten through that many yet, you, you can be free to, to move on to, to the next player on your list. Let's see, where am I at? I had LeBron, I had Butler, I, I, I brought up Kawhi, so I guess I'm... Yeah, this would be not my number four, too. I mean, how about this? I actually will transition knowing that because this this does kind of make sense as, as a place to go after that. Um, I wanted to talk about Kyle Lowry. Okay. So, oh, okay. So, I mean, and, and just, just the through line of, like, another guy who I think it's kind of amazing what he is doing at a later stage in his career. Um the, the difference for me with Kyle Lowry compared to Butler, and Garrett, this is the player I was alluding to that we, we've had a discussion about in the past. Um, it was after last, after the Raptors won the title, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong on how I'm kind of paraphrasing this argument, but I think the crux was like, I believed that after the Raptors won the title that Lowry should be viewed in a different light than he had been previously, whereas I think you thought it, it was like more like he's always been this guy, he just was in a better situation this year. Um, and, and we can get into that, but but to me, what I saw from Lowry, I, I still was uncertain, right? To me, that that conversation and that, that type of argument is more about like guessing, like I don't know if, if it was the situation or the player, but I'm going to give the player credit for what I saw him do that I hadn't seen him do before. But I think wherever you come down on that, like this postseason, he definitively proved like, okay, this is a different guy than, than he was before. Because like <laughs> Kyle Lowry was, I've never seen anybody, let alone someone in their mid thirties go from like, a guy who's kind of known for folding under pressure to honestly, like maybe the most mentally tough player in the league. I mean, he's right up there with, with Butler and a couple other guys. Like it, it's just insane to me. And again, I thought I was seeing that transformation last postseason, Um, but he had the benefit of, of having Kawhi as the guy to like fall back on when he didn't bring it. But what we saw from him all regular season this year without Kawhi, what we saw from him in the playoffs, pushing the Celtics to seven and nearly winning game seven, um, he's just, I'm going to think about Kyle Lowry so differently than I thought I would a couple years ago. Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. Yeah, and and you you summarized that discussion we had pretty pretty perfectly because yeah, I've 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 always loved Kyle Lowry, and in, with with each ensuing season, that love only grows. Uh, but uh, yeah, it it to me it feels like you know pri- you know you, you talk about those playoff failures that uh, that and and something that he was kind of known for is being a choke artist and the Raptors. Uh, part of that I thought was, um, you know, was just unfair. I thought DeMar DeRozan was by far the, the, the player that 
regressed in the postseason more than Lowry just because DeRozan doesn't have the the three-point shot and doesn't play defense. So his mid-range scoring repertoire against better defenders just really went off a cliff. And and even so, you know, as as good as I think Kyle Lowry uh, was and is, you know, he's he's probably between the 15th and 20 20th best player in the NBA. And we've seen throughout the history of the league that uh, if that's your best guy, you're just not getting to the places that you need to get to. Um, you know, Miami this year, I think uh, it was kind of an exception to the rule because they had maybe multiple top 15 level players and, and they got all NBA play from Dragic, so it was a real team effort. But for the most part, if your best player is, you know, not in the top 15 in the league, you're not going to to be in, in the NBA Finals or winning championships. So yeah, when when Kyle Lowry finally got that player in Kawhi Leonard, they finally, the Raptors organization, got that top five level player. Uh, they, um, they, they, they were finally able to put Lowry in the role that I think he was so well suited to, to being just a complimentary piece, doing all, and all of those little things that he does on a consistent basis, all of the, the scrappy hustle plays that he makes, the defensive rotations, um, you know, giving you the offense when you need it, uh, just, you know, is, is, is that much more highlighted and that much more in the, uh, uh, in the forefront of our, of our minds. So yeah, you know, Lowry, he's, he's fascinating. He's continued to improve. And yeah, this, this Raptors run this year was really impressive, despite the fact that Pascal Siakam was awful, despite the fact that, uh, yeah, they didn't have Kawhi anymore. They didn't have Danny Green. Uh, Marcus All couldn't hit a single shot to save his life. Uh, the Lowry and that Raptors team showed so much heart and determination, and and uh, yeah, the the whole roster outside of the likes of Siakam, I ended up being pretty impressed with. And I just I just want to say, uh, Corbin, sorry, I'll, I'll let you jump in a second here. Oh no, you got. <laughs> um, I I guess the thing with Lowry for me in terms of like like I agree with what you are saying, Garrett. Like you're. In terms of the final result, like, yeah, when you have, when your best player is outside of the top 10 um, pretty firmly, like, you're, you're just, you should be losing in the second or third round. Um, and that's what was happening with Toronto before they got Kawhi. That's what happened this year. I, I just, it just looked different to me. Like, and, and I don't know how to prove that, but I just, like, there was a certain, like, defeated, like, energy that would take over that team. In years past, um, whether they were losing to Washington in the first round, whether they were like facing one of LeBron's Cleveland teams, um, they just had this kind of "here we go again" attitude, and I, I think they lost a lot of their fight. And I and I would see Lowry kind of start hot potatoing it, um, and and I just he just was a different player to me this year. They still lost in the second round, but the team, but that team was like so competitive and like so confident um and i saw lowry step up in those moments in a different way so that that's all subjective i don't know how to prove it um but i do think maybe playing alongside Kawhi and having that pressure relieved and like you said being able to really find his role doing the things that he's always done and, and see that translate to ultimately a championship uh maybe just like freed him a little mentally to just be a, a different player in terms of his confidence 
even even in his late 30s. Uh, he was a late bloomer getting started in the league, finding a role, becoming a star. Uh, so maybe this is just another area where his, his development was like a little delayed. Yeah, and, and Corbin, I want to I get your take on this, but uh, Kyle Lowry, I think, you know, as a, as a straight-up basketball player, I think he's pretty similar now that he, to the player he was three or four years ago, but, but I do agree he has improved from a leadership standpoint, and, uh, you know, he's a guy that we saw in these, in these playoffs, he had some of the best press conferences where, uh, you know, um, he, he mentioned he had balls of steel at one point. Uh, he, um, he, he uh, when, when somebody asked him about Pascal Siakam, and uh, what can he learn from this experience? Lowry basically went back and said, you know, I, I suffered the same thing. You know, people talked bad about me in 2015 in that Wizard series. And, uh, you know, it was something I, I used as motivation and learned from. So, yeah, I, I do think like going through that championship experience and, and just going through, you know, he's, he's a legitimate veteran now. He's been around. He's seen it all. That I, I do think maybe, for, yeah, from, from a mental standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, that he has, uh, he has improved. And, and that's something, you know, as your athleticism fades, you know, and, um, you know, I think your skills and your leadership can continue to grow. And I think we've seen that. Yeah, I don't have to agree. I don't really have too much to add on Lowry. So I'm glad you guys kind of dominate most of that because my opinion was, I definitely thought that he lacked a bit of a choked under pressure for years. Um, and then I think a lot of it went down during, the regular season last year, you know, with Kawhi and him stepping up, not only as emotionally, which he's been, but just someone on the floor that was more of a calming influence than I remembered in the past. And, you know, granted, it was going against a different beast than LeBron and the Cavs, but just in general, I've had that opinion of Lowry. But that sort of went away during that postseason run. And then this year, just throughout the season, I, seeing how younger how younger Raptors, the entire Raptors team rallied behind him, seeing what he was able to do in spite of, you know, the, the loss of Kawhi and basically just Lowry alone, but really some of their parts team in the Raptors, I just gained so much more respect for him. So I, I agree, even up to this, you know, early playoff exit that they had, relatively considering. But um, I'm, I'm still on board. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely on board. Lowry have kind of dropped that. And like Simon said, which I, I kind of agree in terms of, you know, maybe just late blooming and just kind of getting past that later the most and having the year or two where he had probably shed that label because DeMar DeRozan was still there and the Raptors still lost game once on the regular. Like, that was, for some reason, so attributed to him. So, I agree. I think his legacy's changed for the better. Um, and now he's looked at as one of the great competitors uh, in the game. So, I, I definitely see, you know, it shows, I guess, the power of, of maybe not just a successful postseason run because no doubt that paid dividends, but just being able to cast him in a, in a different light and him to repeat or replicate those same um, performances with that same drive and, and vigor another year on his own. Only further cemented that. So, uh, Corbin, is there anybody else on your list that we haven't gotten to? Yeah, I have one more, um, and I kind of knock him because to me it's the second straight year that this has happened, but I, I want to talk about Giannis. Um, I, I don't, I mean, deserved MVP, you know, deserved defense play of the year, all of that. But in the playoffs, I definitely feel there's been um, legit regression. And, and, and from last year against, I think it was Boston this year against Miami, it, it doesn't seem like there was a lot of change from one year to the next. It's like Giannis is the same guy that he was last year, which is, we've seen what that can do. That's two-time MVP good, right? But the same exact exits. And yes, Miami's defense, we saw a suffocating against Ben this year, but Giannis' game, kind of played right in 
rotation all over. And I feel like Giannis in the playoffs has moments of either indecisiveness or, or just maybe the word isn't foolhardy, but just determination to we're going to do this anyway. Even though there's all evidence to the contrary that that game plan is working. And and I think that dropped me a little bit, but I want to see how y'all look at it. Because I think in my mind, I'm looking at him right alongside Harden, somebody whose game is so dominant in the regular season. And then come postseason, yes, there were flaws with the Bucks outside of Giannis, of course. But as, as the main guy, I feel like he fell off in a major way. I, so I'd love to jump in here, especially you brought up Harden, which I was about to do. Um, <laughs> I, I mentioned it earlier, but I'm, I'm always, and, and you guys know this, I, I'm just about like, I want guys to prove things to me and then I will give them credit for it. Um, that was kind of my point with like, I don't knock guys for failures. I just wait until I see accomplishments to give them proper credit. I, I never, I, I, I would never say Giannis is the best player in the league because he won an MVP or even because he followed up with an even better regular season. Like I need to see it in the playoffs and I still haven't. Um, that being said, there's a difference between like where I rank guys in terms of like the credit they've earned versus just kind of using intuition. Who, what do I see as the reason for a failure? I think that there's a big difference between Giannis and James Harden, where first of all, we have a much larger sample of Harden. He's what 31 now. Um, we've seen it in eight or nine postseasons with Houston, where and there was really only like one. Uh, which was that 2018 postseason where I was like, yeah, this guy's playing at a best player on a title team level. Even then, he really disappointed me in Game 7 of that series against Golden State. But like overall, I'd say he played well enough that, that postseason to do it. Um, other than that, I haven't seen it from him. Giannis, I haven't seen it either, but he's so much younger, um, and I expect to see it from him by the time he's 31 now. Where I put the blame on Milwaukee is just like I think he's so poorly utilized um, because he, for a guy who's six eleven, um, with his wingspan and all that, like for a guy like that, yeah, he's a great ball handler. He's a great uh, passer for for someone like that. Again, but he's not in a, he's still not elite in those areas, and he's like used like an attacking wing in that system. Like they try to play almost a LeBron James type of scheme where it's like shooters around him and have him just draw a kick and like that's he can do it but in the half court like that's not going to win you championships um to me like he's as much of a of an Anthony Davis as a LeBron James so like let him let him finish on some pick and rolls let him clean up stuff around the rim with other guys creating. Like, I just think he's so poorly utilized um, in Mike Budenholzer's system. I would just, I, I would love to see him play with, like, a real creator. Yeah, I mean, there's been there's been talk that, uh, you know, and rumors that Dallas is uh, is interested in, in acquiring him as a free agent in 2021. And, yeah, the, the, uh, the idea of a Luka... Giannis pick and roll is is really scary and and yeah even though they're completely different players from an offensive standpoint I mean yeah having Giannis be kind of in the Draymond Green role on the offensive end where you know you've got a a ball handler that's a shooting threat that uh, you know teams uh, don't want to just give an open shot to and then if they try to take that away you get Giannis uh, on the run going towards the basket 
give him easy reads as a passer as well out of that, uh, it would be scary. Um, but, you know, we, this whole pod is about uh, talking about legacies and whether guys have, have uh, gone up or gone down. And to me, frankly, even though, yes, the, the performance in the postseason from, from the Greek freak was disappointing, it, it wasn't that surprising. You know, a lot of his weaknesses just came to fruit once again, just like they did last year. But, you know, having this conversation after this season, he is now a two-time MVP, and that is a short list of players that have accomplished that. So given his age and given that, yes, he, he doesn't have the greatest supporting cast in the world in Milwaukee, I can't really sit here and say that I think his stock has gone down. I, I think his stock has only grown. Uh, okay, I, I guess I'm going to have to hedge on that, because I don't think it's grown, um, but I definitely do agree that maybe it is a little quick to say that it's gone down. Um, I just think that from what we've seen of him historically in the playoffs, like as good as a player as he is, he's the same player in the playoffs. And like, yes, the good thing he has age on the side, and you're right, we've had a decade of, of evidence on James Harden and others, but for me, you know, you got me. The first time, you know, he's going to play a spot, he wasn't even the type of Giannis that he is now, but with two straight postseasons, I'm definitely looking at it with a lot closer of an eye into next season, because... I, I, I didn't see any growth in that way, except the same Giannis that we saw and the playoffs. We've been talking about how it's a totally different beast in the regular season, and yet we get the same beast in Giannis, and it hits a wall. And even with him being injured in, what, game four, we'd already seen evidence of him just completely falling apart before that. So that, that's kind of where I am on that, but that was my last guy on the list of someone who, I, I mean, for me, legacy-wise, it's in question. It's not gone down. It definitely isn't going up, but it's a question. I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. That yeah, from a playoff standpoint, there wasn't progress made. Uh, I, I completely agree with that. But you know, when you talk about legacies and and you start to 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 look at a person's resume, I mean, what's the first thing you look at? You look at championships. You look at MVPs. And just having an additional MVP on his resume, I think, improves his stock. But but yes, the the concerns of his playoff performances are, are well founded and. It's, uh, it's debatable whether he'll ever, especially if he's going to continue, as Simon said, to be in this role that isn't perfectly suited to him, it's questionable whether he'll ever develop the skill set to uh, be good enough to win playing this way. Uh, so, so, yeah, there's, there's certainly an element of disappointment, but, yeah, you, you can't ignore the, the, the two-time MVP. Oh, not at all. In my mind, he's, he's a Carmelo right now. Two-time MVP. No, but yeah, exactly. You can't you can't deny the hardware. I just I, I brought Carmelo's example of someone who's all time great, but like again, at a certain point in time, I think you do start to look at postseason successes like the one outlier. But you're right. Every every evidence he's done so far in the, in the body of work in the regular season, I agree with you. I, I can't deny that. Yeah, and I think to that point, like I agree with you, Corbin. Like so far. I'm not going to say he's more than a Carl Malone. I'm not going to say he ever will be because I, I just, I'm not going to project it until it happens. I just, to, I mean, both of you have made this point. Like, this is what I expected. Um, and I think this is just part of the growing process. I mean, he's still, he's still only 25, and we just, we don't usually see guys uh, figure out the whole postseason riddle before that point, even the all time grades. So, um, that being said, I think I, that transitions pretty nicely again into my last guy, uh, and that's that's Luka Doncic. Um, he might be an exception to, to that rule. Like, like so, 
I've, I've continuously doubted Luca. Um, I didn't doubt him as a prospect. I, I thought he was a potentially generational talent. He should have gone number one. Obviously, like I, I was totally in on him as a prospect. But I did wonder after his rookie season, like how much room he had to improve. Not that he wouldn't improve at all. Uh, but I just thought so much of his success was based on this like super advanced skill for his age. So like, how much more could that skill develop? Um, when he when he is somewhat lacking in terms of like athletic explosion, clearly that was idiotic. Like he he was one of the most improved players in the entire league this year. He had a near MVP type year, um, and then even after seeing that, I was still skeptical entering the playoffs because I kind of felt like, okay, this guy like makes a living. I mean, first of all, extremely high usage, heliocentric player, like how much of his numbers translate to winning, even though the Dallas have the best offense in the league. Um, but like he makes so much of his living off teams kind of, I think, respecting him too much as a shooter. Uh, and over the course of a playoff series, will we'll, they kind of learn to let him shoot? Uh, he's he's not like hyper-efficient overall, even in the regular season. He's, he's he, I think, 58 true shooting this year. Um, and he has this over-reliance on foul drawing. He has no playoff experience. He's facing a team in the Clippers that have, like, a stable of wings to throw at him. Um, I just thought it might be a rough season, and I was completely wrong again. He put up, he was 59.6% sure shooting, like, even better than his regular season. Um, and so I think what I've come, and this is where I, this is where Luca has kind of changed for me, and, and it's, it's weird to say legacy because it's his second year, but it's just kind of me altering how I view him. Is that like he's just an outlier, an all-time outlier in terms of offensive skill and offensive IQ. So like, whatever pattern of development you think is normal, or whatever you think, oh, like this type of player usually struggles in this type of situation, whatever, it just doesn't apply to him. Like he was he was making plays in that Clippers series that I've literally never seen another human make like i've never seen like, his body control it, it just makes no sense to me like he moves in slow motion in this way where it's like he'll beat his man to the spot or, 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 ra- or rather his man will like beat him to the spot right like they'll anticipate and they'll get to the spot and you think or, or, or the help will come at the perfect time and you think like okay like here comes a charge here comes a travel here comes a turnover like or a forced shot, but he's so under control and able to just like decelerate in this way that no one else is, and and like just calmly sidestep or or split the double or pivot or whatever it is, like in a way that the defenders just aren't ready for because no one else moves like that. And then he ends up with this open shot, and everyone's kind of like scratching their heads. He's he's just such a special player um, in these in these ways that like. I really think nobody else is, and and because of that, like I'm I'm done putting a ceiling on what I think he can become. Yeah, I think the I think the big differentiator, you know, we just got done talking about Giannis's struggles in the playoffs, and um, we're coming off LeBron James having so much success, and and as you mentioned, Luka Doncic in that round one performance, 
the the big differentiator between you know those two guys and Giannis is that they're brilliant passers. You know, Giannis has certainly developed and but you know and and has be has uh, improved at that skill. But it's not something that he's really a natural at. It's not something that he excels at. He doesn't make the wow type of passes. He doesn't make those wow reads. And LeBron and Doncic can. Nikola Jokic can. Uh, so those guys that are just like the just the A plus level passers, I think that's where you know you, you obviously see it throughout the regular season, but in the postseason when teams are really locked in, their rotations are sound. Being able to make that pass that is able to to beat a team's defense to a rotation, you know, you make a skip pass that gets the guy the ball a half second sooner than he normally would. That makes a huge difference. And then also just having that element uh, with, with Luca, that element of he's got the floater, he's got the intermediate, intermediate game, and even though the, the percentages aren't great, he's got that step back, uh, step back three. Of course, the, the shot that he hit to, to, at the buzzer to win that game four, that classic playoff game. And LeBron is, is able to hit those shots as well, whereas Giannis just doesn't have a uh, consistent mid-range or three-point shot. So, yeah, the, the difference being, uh, I think, which is why Luka had so much success and, and LeBron, of course, throughout his career is, yeah, that uh, that unbelievable passing skill and then also being able to at least score uh, somewhat efficiently in all three areas. I, I also think, like, <laughs> another reason I might have been a little low on Luka is because he's, he's a triple-double hunter and... and and uh, you can speak to, <laughs> to some of it. <laughs> no, I, I think that like this is a pro wrestling though, because it's like I think Red gets skewered for that in a way that Luca doesn't, and I don't think that's fair because he hunts for them as much as Russ does. But I think because of that, I kind of underrated his passing a little bit because I was so used to watching him like assist hunt late in games and. He does do that, and he even did that a bit of that in, in this playoff series, which was kind of ridiculous. But like that, that distracts from the fact that like through the normal run of play, he's such a brilliant playmaker, and it's not even they're not even all resulting in assists. There's a ton of hockey assists in there because he just makes those like level ten advanced reads that you were talking about, Garrett. So so that is another thing for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. I, I was thinking a little bit about my general. You're right. I, I have to pick back up a few times in terms of not putting a sim on because I was a little lower on him. I thought, you know, easily top five. I actually, regrettably, and I've said this before, uh, was pro at DeAndre Ayton. So I'm just going to leave it there. But, like, watching him play and realizing, no, this guy's legit. And having the same concerns entering, you know, this playoff series against the Clippers about just how they're going to play, the intensity, the forwards that could match up with Luka and make life very uncomfortable for him. And, and to see that almost the exact opposite happen with him being hampered with that injury and just seeing his, his control of the game on all levels, it, it, it definitely made me rethink that. And I went from that playoff series going, you know what, yeah, I'm not going to not bet against Luka, but um, it's going to take a long time before I put some serious doubts on that again because it, you're right, he, he is almost an exception. I, I don't even have another way of describing anywhere eloquently than you did, but, like, he just is. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's it's weird. And, and yeah, for his first series, like, will there be, like, a sophomore slump? I don't know. I mean, we'll have to find out. But, like, he's maintained this level of play and raised it up this season. And, I mean, at this point, I mean, with his youth and, and development, I don't even know where he can go here. 
Well, yeah, and the other thing that was really impressive to me was, you know, obviously at times Dallas, rightfully so, attacked the likes of, of Lou Williams and, and, and uh, Reggie Jackson and some of the Clippers' lesser defenders. Uh, but, but also, you know, Luka was able to, and, and that was, again, a, a big question mark coming into the draft. Does he have the athleticism to, to um, you know, create an advantage against NBA, you know, elite wings? Um, but, you know, he was able to torch Marcus Morris and, and Paul George on occasion. So, you know, I, I feel like a lot of those questions have already been answered and uh, he's just going to continue to get better. Uh, that's it. I got. I agree. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I'll uh, I'll go to. Uh, uh, we're 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 coming up on on two hours, and I have I have two left on my list, so we'll try to go through these quick. But um, the 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 first guy that I wanted to mention, I'm surprised neither of you guys had him, but Anthony Davis. Um, this. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew someone would bring him up. So. To me, you know, the, the, the big thing about Davis, the, the big differentiator between the Davis that we've known for his whole career and what we saw in these playoffs is the jump shooting. You know, in the regular season, he was at 37% from the mid-range. For the entire playoffs, he shot it at 49%. And then from three-point range, he was at 34% in the regular season. He was up at 38% in these playoffs. And given, you know, we, we all know that Anthony Davis is this terrifically versatile defensive player. Uh, he's obviously this great lob threat as well. Uh, but if he's also got the jump shot working, if this jump shot that he showed in Orlando is real, this guy is absolutely unstoppable. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, is it real? I, I, that's real. Yeah, I, I question it. <laughs> That's a question, right? But but I agree. Like putting putting AD with LeBron is just like. I mean, I, I do want to take some credit for picking the Lakers to win the West before the season. I, I clearly had some semblance of like understanding how special that duo was. But but in retrospect, now I think even I was like not quite just thinking about AD is the best he's always I've always seen him this way like he's a dude who just can get 25 without you drawing up a play for him um and he's probably the the greatest pick and roll finisher ever he's one of the best like scorers off of offensive rebounds of all time and for someone his size he's a pretty dynamic floor spacer as well whether that be shooting jumpers or just attacking closeouts or whatever it is um you, you can't leave him alone, but to put a guy like that with LeBron James, it just makes too much sense. So, like, do, does it change? And Corbin, I'm interested in what you think of this. Like, does it change your opinion of AD, or is it just like in retrospect, yeah, this is who AD's always been, and, and putting him with like an all-time playmaker creator, like these results were. Uh, inevitable in retrospect. It, it's weird because I've been thinking about this internally and I still haven't contextualized my full process on it um, because I think the answer kind of lies somewhere in the middle. And I know it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I don't think that he, I mean, definitely was not this level before. He's always been a very good player and a lot of it's like, oh, well, you know, uh, people who are saying that he's as good as he is now haven't seen him play in New Orleans. But like, I did. I watched 
tipsy. But I don't know. I, I, I guess that's like the worst thing to kind of come to. But like I'm still trying to figure out in my head. He was obviously a great player. We saw that. We knew he was. There was a reason he was already kind of looked at as well. Whoever he joins, you know, they could be a championship contender. Now the fact he's able to kind of slide into this like one B or like dual one role alongside LeBron James, rather than let's say going to I don't know, for example, Boston or something. Yeah, that might be looked at in a different light, where he's kind of looked at as the main guy or one of the main guys in the league where it's harder to be a, a main guy as a big. Um, but he's also kind of a cheat code in that respect. So I, I, I'm kind of talking myself in circles, but I, I guess I'm just going to say, like, I'm in the middle of that, Simon, because I feel like part of that is him being who he was, but I also do feel it was another level that was um, reached during this postseason. I'm just trying to figure out whether that was because of natural development or just a unusually hot stretch uh, during the duration of the bubble for mid range from three. Yeah, I mean, the uh, regardless of whether the, the shooting continues, I mean, nobody can take away this postseason run from Anthony Davis that's always going to be on his resume. And again, talking about legacies, being the, the number one or number two guy in a championship team is is is, is really big uh, when, when things are all said and done and, and we're comparing players. Uh, the the question I, I have for, for both of you, I think it's, an, it's sort of an interesting discussion, and it also kind of parallels back to when we we started uh, early on talking about Nikola Jokic, is the whole idea of, you know, being a floor raiser and being a ceiling raiser. You know, one of the things that made me so excited to talk about Jokic and his postseason run is that he's arguably both now. He's that floor raiser. He's the guy that even with an average supporting cast, he can get you to 50 wins and get you a decent seed in the playoffs, but then also could potentially be that number one guy in a championship team. Davis has proven the latter portion of that argument, but obviously his time in New Orleans, and you know, it wasn't all his fault. Obviously, it didn't build the greatest of rosters around him, but he never proved that he was that floor raiser. So, you know, how... Um, how much of like, and it's kind of, uh, it also echoes the whole Draymond Green discussion. You know, how great and how high do we rank Draymond Green when he obviously is this this guy that in the right context at the highest of levels produces, but also, you know, we saw it with the Golden State this season when he's out there by himself as the best player, uh, your, your team's not really going anywhere. I mean, I, I, it's such an interesting question. I've thought about it a lot. Like, uh the first thing that I kind of ask with it is like and I don't know the answer to this anymore I used to feel more like firm in this but it's like how do you define a number one versus a number two um, so so one thing that like I have no question about is like I would rather take a guy who can clearly be the number two on a title team than a number one who is not quite at that number one championship number one level and doesn't scale to number two as well as the other guy like I'm, I'm that's not difficult for me like give me clay thompson over russell westbrook sorry uh, <laughs> but like but with with a guy like ad it's so tough because while in traditional like the way we traditionally think of number one number two yeah, LeBron's the number one, AD's the number two. The question I would have is, like, how much of a downgrade can you afford for LeBron's running mate? Like, what percentage worse than AD would his 
center need to be for the Lakers to not be this team versus what percentage worse would the lead ball handler that AD plays with need to be for the Lakers not to be this team. So like normally I'd be like, yeah, well, you you always need to prioritize the creator over the, the kind of complimentary guy. But AD is so good as a complimentary guy that it's like, could he win a title with Damian Lillard instead of LeBron James as his creator, right? Whereas on the flip side, could LeBron win a title with, you know, who, I don't know, uh, Rudy Gobert or... Or, I mean, Bam Adebayo. I think that's a good, right? (laughs) I think the answer to both of those questions is probably yes. They both are that good that they could win titles in those scenarios. But, like, but the question of who would be more likely to is, is, like, a fascinating one to me. Yeah, it's um, and and I think uh, it goes back to the discussion about his jump shot and whether that's real. Because yeah, if if he's got Damian Lillard as his sidekick, yeah, the the forty nine percent from mid range, the the thirty eight percent from three. So you know, if he's playing the four, you've got enough spacing. And then also, as you know, you can you can throw him the ball, and his face up game is actually effective half an effective half court offense is so critical. Whereas, yeah, if, if that comes back to earth, then then no, I don't think him and Damian Lillard is good enough. Whereas, you know, LeBron with Bam Adebayo, I, I would say, yeah, I think that's, uh, I, I would take that as a more likely outcome because they don't have to have this outlier of a shooting stretch to, to succeed. Yeah, I would agree. I think a lot of it comes down to, you're right, specific circumstances in general, like, on a general level, both those guys are so good that it kind of is what it is from that from that standpoint. But of course, there was nuance of matchups and everything go into that. But um, yeah, I, I agree. All right, so uh, we'll we'll talk about the last one real quick, and then I'll let you guys go. But um, the final guy on my list is Jamal Murray. Um, he's uh, you know he's obviously incredibly young, uh, and uh, so so talking about his legacy is uh, is a bit early. But uh, I, I acknowledge that. But uh, you know, one of the things that I think went unnoticed about his regular season improvement was his finishing. Uh, in 2018-19, he shot just 57% at the rim. This year, he was up to 63%. And we saw in the postseason some spectacular finishes, of course, uh, most notably that uh, 360 around Gobert in that first round. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was a guy that, despite the incredible free throw shooting, despite his form just being picture perfect, he hadn't shot the ball well from mid-range or from three, really, uh, through most of his career. But uh, that all changed in these playoffs. He shot 48% from three, 46% from the mid-range. And, you know, if his finishing and that three-point shooting are real, you know, I don't expect him to shoot 48% for a season, but if he's a 40% three-point shooter off the dribble, uh, you know, this guy has a chance to be really special and, uh, you know, potentially even be like a Steph Light that a lot of people said maybe was his, uh, his ceiling, being, a, you know, a slightly lesser version, but still a very potent type of, of Steph Curry-level player. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to hold that off for uh, Angela <laughs> Russell. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but no, I, I do agree. I think that um, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not drawing the Steph comparisons just yet, but I'm saying that someone that is as potent of a guard 
you said it. If that shooting, of course, even not for you, but just maintaining a high steady, you know, high 38-plus clip, I mean, with the finishing that you did say was kind of an underrated part of his attack and, and something he's maintained, I, I just want to see it over a, reg- over a full regular season, you know, because he's had a, just a tremendous postseason this year. He had a really solid one last year. And then during the regular season, he kind of goes between, you know, really good and, 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 and average, you know, and if he can put that together over the course of regular season, it almost feels like an inverse of the conversation at the beginning in terms of postseason play of a regular season. But I, I, I guess I have to use that. Is this a playoff Murray? Or are we going to have this Jamal Murray moving forward? And because he's so young, I don't know if we have the answer to that yet. I mean, Murray's a great player to end on, really, because what we've talked, we've kind of mentioned it, but we've really talked around the, the elephant in the room, which is the bubble. Um, and how sustainable any of this stuff is, and is, is this conversation even worth having, or should we just throw this year out? Um, and Murray is like the perfect encapsulation of that, right? I mean, Donovan Mitchell is the other guy, but because we only, I mean, we've seen more from Mitchell in the past than we have from Murray, and they only last their round with Utah. Murray, Murray kept it up for three rounds, and I have no idea how real it is. Like, yeah, he looked like Steph Curry to me. He really did. Like, this wasn't, this wasn't just hot shooting. It was like he was creating a lot. I mean, there was a lot of hot shooting involved, but his skill level has always been elite, and he was finding ways to utilize it. His confidence was better. Um, his aggression was better, like all this stuff, and he was just consistently attacking and making unreal whether it be like, wrong-footed finishes or, like, off-balance throwing it up with the left or just finishing, like, I mean, I think the two plays that will stand out are the, the 360 layup against Rudy Gobert um, and then the reverse against the Lakers that, that he finished from just an impossible angle. Uh, as, like, who else, like, that feel, those plays feel like a, some combination of Steph Curry and Michael Jordan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, like, but, yeah, so I see that, and I'm like, that's why would that not be sustainable? Like, I that that's a skill level that will translate. But the problem has always been with Murray consistency, right? So, like, I'm convinced that he can get up to a higher level than he has in the past, and I'm convinced he can probably do it more often than he had in the past. Where like it used to be maybe one huge game in a playoff series from Murray and a few duds and a few average games, and now maybe he has three huge games. Um, so I, I'm convinced he's a better player, but I am so uncertain. Is he like, is the consistency real, or is he just going to be inconsistent with a much higher baseline? That's, I guess that's the question. Because I'm with you. I'm like, if looking at it, I mean, not only just over the regular season, I looked at some of his numbers before we kind of gone, because I figured one of us would talk about him. Um, but with regular season, you know, it, most improvements in most categories, playoffs as well. But I'm sitting there going, is this, like, legit for that? Or is it, like you said, I, again, I'm not going to repeat it. You pretty much said it succinctly. But it basically is this kind of Murray that we're kind of getting. Because it, I guess it's well within the possibility. He's still mad young. For whatever reason, I think he's in the playoffs more than the twice that he's been in. But then I think he's in the league more than he has. I mean, the dude's 23, you know what I mean? Going to be 24 next season. And uh, it's kind of crazy to think about, the improvement that he has that he can possibly do, but because of the body of work so far, and while, yes, a generally solid player, has kind of been up and down in terms of general effectiveness, it, it, it at least makes you wonder. 
Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's probably not even going to be 24 years of age at the start of next season. So the the fact that he put up put up a playoffs like this at 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 uh, such an early point of his career is a, is a great sign. And and yes, I, I completely agree as far as his consistency has been one of the biggest issues with him. And uh, I will say though that that might be an underrated uh, part of a player's improvement and development over the years is just improving the consistency. You know, if you have this level that you can reach, maybe part of getting better and and improving and getting more experience is just being able to reach that level more often. And I think that's something that that he could be capable of. And and again, if if he is close to the level of player we saw in these playoffs, uh, you're talking about Jokic and, and Murray being two top 15 level players for the foreseeable future. And, uh, you know, that is a, is a great place to start, a great place to build from. Yeah, I mean, we said it earlier talking about Jokic, but, like, it's if, if Murray is that type of guy, again, I think Denver could be a championship team next year. Um, and I'm, I'm just so curious to see, like, where does he? Where does Jamal Murray fall into like the point guard hierarchy in the league? Because I've seen a lot of discussion about like, is he a top five point guard? And when I first started seeing it, I'm like, how are we overreacting to this like so much? It's like a tiny sample size in the bubble. But then I start looking at it, and it's like Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, um, Rondo. <laughs> <laughs> position it was a few years ago uh chris paul had an amazing year but what's he going to be next year russell westbrook is clearly kind of on the back end um you got your ring just i don't know what to think about him like you start looking at it and yeah maybe jamal murray is going to be a top five point guard in the league next year and that's just like a terrifying thought <laughs> i guess that's true too like yeah like i don't think we're ready for that yet but I mean, if he comes with anything sort of what he had already, like, I'm here for it. It's crazy to think about it, that he would just kind of appear that way. But, yeah, you're right. It's definitely not uh, 2011 with the point guards. On 6.6 assists, you know, he he improved as a passer as well, I thought, in the bubble. So that's, uh, you know, um, and and him and Jokic are just such a perfect fit, especially if this Murray that we saw in Orlando is anywhere close to what he's going to be moving forward. They are an absolutely perfect match. As a, as a one-two punch, especially on the offensive end. So it'll be fascinating. Well, guys, we've we've uh, gone over two hours at this point, and we've uh, talked about a lot of uh, interesting players and their legacies. Was there anything else that uh, that you felt we needed to discuss before we wrap up here? I, I mean, aside from next season, looking forward to talking about Brandon Ingram, um, I, think, uh, I think we're good. It's a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Yeah, two hours well spent. Um... We will have to, I would love to actually have a coach's discussion at some point, whether it be coach legacies or just talking about coaches. Like, I've been thinking a lot about coaching lately, so maybe that'll be a future uh, Congo for us. Absolutely, yeah. The, uh, yeah, the, uh, these playoffs in particular really highlighted a lot of the, the best coaches in the NBA, and yeah, it was, and we got to see some of them pitted up against each other. So, again, thank you guys so much for coming on. This was an absolute blast. 
Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay, that's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television. So uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he uh, he does a d- does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or... The DMV Number 97 Or House cleaning Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun Play over a hundred different games online For free from anywhere You could redeem some serious prizes Chumbacasino.com Live the Chumba life No purchase necessary We're prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply See website for details Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details.